Loving Father in heaven, we are thankful that we can come into your presence and know that you have a blessing for each one of us. And Father, this morning as we've come away from the busyness of the week to enter into, that, into your presence, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and draw us nearer to you. We love you, Father. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John, the 13th chapter. John, chapter 13. While you are turning there, John, chapter 13 is uh, where we find Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. They are about to partake in what would be the last uh, Passover that would have any significance to it. Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. The transaction has already been laid out. Uh, Judas has told them when and how and what he would do to betray Jesus over to them. It's a couple of hours at this point before Jesus would be found in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're pouring out his heart to the Father in that prayer that we should pray, not my will, but thine be done. Shortly after that, we would find Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, and then just hours after that, he would be hung on the cross. And so in the upper room at this time, there is a lot that is weighing on the heart of Jesus. He just has a few hours left with his disciples before he would no longer be able to freely interact with them because of his betrayal and crucifixion. And while Jesus is there in the upper room looking at the dimly lit faces of his disciples, his heart is burdened with a message that he wants to share with them. In fact, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is all of this advice that Jesus is trying to condense down. Those chapters happen between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there pouring out his heart to his disciples. But this morning, I want to take two verses and pull them out, two verses that are relevant to our lives today and, of course, to the communion service. John chapter 13, verse 34. It's a passage that we're familiar with. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says this, A new commandment, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Some people refer to this commandment as the the, the 11th commandment. It's a new commandment, Jesus says, that he gave to them. However, we know as we study the word of God that this wasn't something that was necessarily new. It was found throughout the Old Testament, the concept of loving one another. In fact, you find it all over the place in the New Testament as well. About 19 times you find that phrase to love one another in the New Testament, mentioned by John, mentioned by Jesus, and also mentioned by Paul. But here in the upper room, Jesus is weighed down with this sense of 
of, of, of separation that's about to take place between him and his disciples. And as he's there, he, he feels impressed. These disciples that are bickering amongst themselves, who would be the greatest? These disciples who one of them is a devil that is betraying him. These disciples that are about to be the ones who are to carry the gospel to the entire world. These disciples, Jesus feels burdened with the commission that he's about to lay upon them. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, of course, you know that prior to this, Jesus in his discourse with a young lawyer who came to Jesus and asked him, which is the greatest commandment? You know, Jesus told him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor, what? As thyself. Right? So he, he's already kind of laid this principle out. And, and, and a Bible student will notice as they compare these two passages, Matthew uh, 22 and, and John chapter 13, you find that Jesus, although they're similar, there is a very stark difference between those two statements. He tells the lawyer to love your neighbor as yourself, but then in the upper room, he takes it up a notch and he tells the disciples to love each other as he has loved them. Now, I'm going to suggest to you this morning, out of the two, the easier of the two is to love one another as we would want to be loved. But I think if we're going to be really honest with ourselves and introspective and search our hearts, we would actually find that we struggle with that one. To love one another as we would want to be loved, to treat each other as we would want to be treated. Yet Jesus in the upper room is saying, no, 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 not just that. Now I want you to take it up a notch, and I want you to love one another as I have loved you. It's a love that we don't see very often, but a love that I believe the world is longing to see. In fact, go over with me if you would. Jesus repeats this in John chapter 15, and then he gives an example of what it looks like. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus again talking to his disciples right before he's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're making their way over there, and Jesus says this in verse 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Again, he says, as I have loved you. Sorry, that's in verse 12. Now he says in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Jesus is repeating himself, and he always does that because he's trying to get something across. And so he repeats himself again here. He says to love one another, to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And then he gives this example of what it looks like. He says, greater love hath no man than this, than that he what? Lay down his... Now listen, Jesus never asks us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And he's about to give this greatest expression of what this love looks like. That he would lay down his life for people who hate him. That he would lay down his life for people who have sinned and caused him to go to the cross. That he would lay down his life for a group of people who may not appreciate it the way they should. And he's giving us this example of what it looks like to love one another as he has loved us. Something that is worth taking some time to reflect upon. I'm sad to say, it's sad to say rather, that I believe that this type of love is sadly lacking in our churches today, is it not? 
You see, the concept of love has been cheapened in our society today. And we've kind of gotten to the point in our churches where if we put up with one another, we think we're doing a good job. Listen, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be putting up with one another. Listen, when we get to heaven, there is not going to be a single person in the kingdom of heaven that you don't want to hang out with. Won't be anybody there like that. Because all of our hearts will be so transformed that we will love one another as Jesus loved us. There was nobody that Jesus didn't like hanging around with. There was nobody that Jesus did not love from the lowest to the highest class in society. But I believe that this kind of love is sadly lacking in our churches today. We have a hard time maybe just putting up with each other for a couple of hours at church when we should really be loving each other as Jesus loved us. I think this is the kind of love that the world is really longing to see. A love that is not merely professed intellectually, but a love that is expressed among God's people. You see, if we have a hard time loving one another here, how are we going to do it out there? If we have a hard time getting along with each other here, how is the world going to think that our religion has done anything for us? You know, Jesus makes a very interesting statement in the very next verse after Matthew chapter 13 where he says to love each other as he loves us. Notice what he says in verse 35. Uh, This has always been very gripping to me as I've read this passage. uh, Luke, sorry, John chapter 13, verse 35. He says this. He says, by this, by what? What is this? By loving one another as Jesus has loved us. He says, by this, Shall all men know that you are my what? If you what? (laughs) How is it that the world knows I'm a disciple of Christ? By the theology that I profess, right? Because I'm a Sabbath keeper. Because I believe in the state of the dead. Because I believe that I'm part of the remnant church of Bible. Listen, I'm not knocking these things because we understand these are all very important. We must have the truths of God's word. We must have the doctrine of God's word. God has given us his word so that we can find the truth. The truth sets us free. But Jesus says that's not what points us out as disciples of Christ. What shows the world that I am a disciple of Jesus is if I love each other, if I love others as Jesus has loved me unconditionally. And I think this is one of the reasons why our churches in the world today are atrophying, not growing as they ought. Because among God's people, there's not that love that Jesus had, that unconditional love, that love that loves no matter what you do or say or or whatever happens, you love simply because you cannot do anything else. Because Jesus has so thoroughly transformed your life that it just comes out from you no matter how somebody treats you. I believe that this is the love that the world is looking for, the love that when it is revealed among God's people will cause our churches to have to be rebuilt because they're too small. Doctrine in and of itself will not be enough to convince people to join our church. Do you agree with that? Doctrine in and of itself is not enough. But it's the atmosphere that our characters create that makes our church attractive or repulsive. Now, I praise the Lord that the Lord has given us what I feel like is a rather attractive atmosphere. 
in our church. But I think there's always room for a little growth, amen? Always room for a little growth, a little refinement to show that love of Jesus in a fuller and deeper way. Now, I'm not talking about some cheap love. I'm talking about the love of Jesus that is deeper and wider and broader than one can ever think or imagine. So what does this kind of love look like? Let's just briefly take a look at this. Go with me, if you would, to John, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Very quickly, we're not going to get into this too heavy right now. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you know, it's not often that we are given the opportunity to lay down our life for somebody. Jesus gives that as an example of what this type of love looks like. It's not often that we are given the opportunity to be a martyr, to die for somebody physically, Um, but Jesus, or Paul rather here, kind of refines this idea and breaks it down to how can I do this in a daily, in my daily life? How can I reflect this type of relationship with others in my day-to-day life? How can it start this afternoon? How can it start tomorrow? What does it look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. I'm going to read this from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your own. But Paul says this. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, it says, love never ends. That's profound. That is very profound. So in this verse, in these few verses here, you can take this home, read it through, uh, look at it yourself, but there are 16 ways in this verse that Paul shows me how I can express the love of Jesus in my daily life. 16 different ways. Go back home, outline them, look at each one of them, and ask yourself, how can I incorporate this in my life? How can I allow God to create this kind of love in me that is attractive to the world that draws people to Jesus? Listen, I believe with all my heart, soul, and mind that if we can love people as Jesus loved us, that will make our doctrine much more attractive. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. This passage has always been interesting to me, but it's recently took on a a more intriguing, uh, it's been more intriguing to me recently. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read this again in the English Standard Version. He says this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am, listen to this, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals? Right, you're going to go down to Walmart and buy a CD of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals? Hey, let's listen to our noisy gong CD today, everybody. Right? Is that something that you would enjoy doing? No, of course not. Now, it's there for accent with the orchestra, whatever it may be. But on its own, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal is not something that you relish, that you enjoy. It's actually kind of annoying on its own, is it not? And Paul here is telling us in 1 Corinthians 13 that if we don't have this love, the love of Jesus, that to everybody else around us, what are we? We are annoying. Thank you, Norm. We are a noisy gong or a clangy cymbal. Now, I remember one time when I was in England, when I was living there, one of the things I enjoyed doing while I lived in England was to go to some of the old churches. And we were in an old church, and I think it was Barry St. Edmunds or something like that, small little town. And we had the opportunity to go up in the belfry, where they had all these bells that were hanging there. 
And for some reason, I don't know why, but somebody decided to start ringing these bells when we were in the belfry. I'm telling you, these bells are huge. I mean, they're, they're, they're massive. They're bigger than I am. They probably weigh three times as much as I do, but they're huge. And when you're standing next to, I mean, you can hear these bells a mile or two away. And if you're standing right next to them and they're going off, <laughs> it's loud. It's a noisy gong. <laughs> and when I was standing there, I put my ears, my hands over my ears, pressed it up against my head, and it was still too loud. It was vibrating the very inside of me. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. And Paul says, that's what I am to everybody else when I don't have the love of Jesus in me. I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. And they're, 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 cl- they're clawing to get away from me. Like, get me away from this. Now, they may have all the right theology. They may have all the right answers. They might have all of the, the right understanding of Scripture and a good way of explaining it. But with the vacuum of love in their life, with that love taken out, Paul says they're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But I tell you again this morning that if you take doctrine and you infuse it with the love of Jesus, it is irresistible. And in the upper room, this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Just days before he is to lay upon their shoulder to take the gospel to the entire world. Just before Jesus gives them the gospel commission, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus understood how important that ingredient would be to the success of the gospel commission. And it's no different today. The gospel commission's success rests largely upon, of course, the Holy Spirit and the word of God, but God's love, his character in our hearts, making that doctrine attractive. Listen to what the servant of the Lord says in closing here. Review and Herald, January 19th of 1911. She says this, Christ has instructed us to call God our Father, to regard him as the fountain of all affection, the source of love that has been flowing from century to century through the channel of, of the human heart. Where does love have its source from? God the Father. All pity, compassion, and love that have been manifested in the earth have had their source in God. And compared, I love this, and compared to the love that dwells in his heart are as fountains to an ocean. The love that we manifest to other people, she says, it's just like a fountain compared to the ocean of God's love. His love is perpetually flowing forth to make the weak strong and to give courage to the wavering. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. I want you this next week to take some time to think about that and ask the Lord, Father, this is not a love of human devising. This is not an emotional love. This is an intellectual love. This is a love that Jesus says, love your enemies. That's what kind of love Jesus is talking about here, to love those who despitefully use you. This is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, not a cheap love the world portrays, but a love that has depth and meaning to it. So I ask you this morning, how's your love towards your children? How's your love towards your spouse? How's your love towards your fellow church members? 
How's your love towards your coworkers and those that you mingle with on a regular basis? The most powerful argument that you can give to your religion is being a loving, lovable Christian. It's the most powerful argument that will make what you believe attractive to those around you. As we partake in the communion service this morning, my prayer is that we can make the commitment as a church to work on this individually and ask the Lord to create this in our hearts, to make what the Lord has given to us irresistible to those that the Lord brings us in contact with. Is that your desire this morning? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we understand that this is something that we cannot have in our own creation. We, we, we don't have this type of love, Lord, but we want it because we want to follow every command of Jesus, even those that may be a little bit challenging. And Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts so thoroughly that we would reflect the love of Jesus, that it would that it would be the only response that we have within us. So Lord, guide us, I pray, as individuals, as we desire to love each other as you have loved us. Bless us to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.